Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. So glad that you are here with me today for part two of Habits of Joy. We're looking at the book of Philippians chapter three. And as we look at this whole subject of joy, Jesus first, other second, yourself last, is how we always spell out the word joy. And if you get that backwards, you're going to lose the joy of your salvation. I think that there's another thing that holds us back from experiencing joy. And I think unforgiveness is a big component of our joy being robbed. There's a life coach by the name of Joe Furterman and relays a really true story that she has in her book called Full Catastrophe Living. And it's about some monkeys. And these monkeys were destroying a farmer's crop in India. And these farmers would catch the monkeys, but they didn't want to hurt them or kill them. And they needed a way to capture the monkeys and then return them to the jungle. Well, as you think about the subject of unforgiveness, unforgiveness is monkey business, right? They needed a way to capture these monkeys and send them out into the jungle. But after observing the monkeys, one farmer found a way. So he cut a small hole in a coconut, just big enough so that a monkey could slide its hand through. He put a banana inside of the coconut, then tied it to the inside of a tree. Well, the monkey came up to it. He smelled the banana and uh, stuck his hand into the coconut to grab the banana. When he tried to pull its hand out, because his hand is clutched in a fist holding onto that banana, it didn't fit out the small hole. And because the monkey refused to let go of the banana, the farmer was able to capture it. Now, had that monkey just had let go, he would have been free. You know, just like the monkey with the banana. Have you ever noticed that you tend to hold on to things that hold you back. Things like old habits and old behaviors and, and relationships and, and even things like unforgiveness. Now, hanging on to these things will spell disaster. The destructive power of unforgiveness provides a sophisticated, although detrimental, internal nuclear plant that provides energy. Our attachment to that energy is a natural in an understandable part of our lives. As we think about joy and how we can be set free, we learned yesterday in the broadcast that if we really want to be set free and live in joy, we've got to avoid evil, rejoice in good, but we've got to realize that legalism robs us from our joy. Unforgiveness robs us from our joy, but so does legalism. Paul tells us to rejoice In the Lord, 154 times that word rejoice is used in the New International Version of the Bible. Rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice, he says in Philippians chapter 4. But he's writing to those who have created some trouble for the believers within the church of Philippi. You see, the Gentile believers were being added to the church, but the Jewish believers They were called the Judaizers. Paul nails them as those who are the mutilators of the flesh. He actually calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers because they believed that if the Gentiles were truly to be born again, they had to be physically circumcised. And Paul says, oh, no, no, true conversion is not having that confidence of the flesh, circumcision of the flesh, nothing wrong with being circumcised. Uh, We do it today more for health reasons than spiritual reasons. But Paul says we are to be circumcised of the heart, spiritually circumcised, putting off of the flesh. 
the old person. And Paul says, you know, you can talk about confidence, confidence in what they've done. He says, I've got a whole lot more reason to put confidence in my flesh. He says, I was physically circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrew. I'm one that is a Pharisee. I have zeal. I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. Then Paul says, whatever were gained to me, I now consider lost. Uh, Secondly, we learn that we will have joy when we place our confidence not in our credentials, not in our accomplishments, not in our possessions, but in Christ. See, if we try to exalt self, that will rob you of your joy. You ever been the hero of your own stories? And really what you want is somebody to pat you on the back and say, you're wonderful. And so you embellish a story or somehow you bring the story always back to you. And, and you're thinking that by exalting myself, somebody will recognize just how good I am. And, and it seems like it's kind of getting brushed off by other people and it never seems to satisfy. Paul says, whatever I considered gain, I count lost for the sake of Christ. He says, everything is lost. Everything is worth giving up in order to have that knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, I'm acceptable, not because of my accomplishments. I'm acceptable because of what Christ has done for me. And then thirdly, this is where we kind of left it off yesterday in the broadcast. You will find joy when you keep pressing on. Don't quit. I've never seen a happy quitter, right? I've never seen people say, man, I'm so glad I quit. Failure doesn't have to define you. Listen, you may have some setbacks. Failure can rob you of your joy, but keep pressing on. Look what Paul says, verses 12 through 14, Philippians chapter 3. He says, not that I've already attained, and not that I'm perfect, right? Paul says, what I'm talking to you about, I haven't arrived yet, but I'm going to keep pressing on because I know that Christ has made me his own. Oh, don't you love that? I'm a child of the king. And because I'm a child of the king, uh, he declared me perfect. I'm not perfect, but I am declared righteous. And because of that declaration, I'm going to keep pressing on because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Now, Paul goes on in verse number 13 and says, now, brothers, I don't consider myself that I have made it on my own. He says, where I am, I haven't done this on my own. Not on my own credentials, not on my legalistic background. He says, this is what I do. One thing I do, I forget about what lies behind me. I'm going to leave my past behind me, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. It was William Arthur Ward who said, Failure is not fatal. Failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. It should challenge us to new heights, new accomplishments, but should never pull us to new depths of despair. From honest failure can come valuable experience. Isn't that so true? When we have a setback, it's really a setup for God to take us to the next level. Failure does not have to define you. Now, it can rob you of your joy, but don't let it define you. Let it only be a temporary robbing of your joy. One author who is unknown says, Mistakes are the stepping stones that lead to future accomplishments. You think about the areas of your life you've messed up. 
Don't get stuck on them. Realize those are stepping stones. And I've learned another way not to do something. Keep pressing on in the right direction. Forget the past. Somebody said, yesterday's history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift of God, which is why we call it the present. We are products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners of our past. We can be set free. Keep pressing on. Failure does not have to define you. I know sometimes you get so discouraged that you want to throw in a towel. You know, I know most pastors, and on Monday morning, they want to resign. Uh, They're worn out from a weekend of preaching and ministering, and uh, they wake up on Monday morning. And if I represent a lot of my pastor friends, when I wake up on Monday morning, I'm not even sure I'm saved. You know, I'm not even sure on whose side I'm on. But I don't think about giving up on Monday because I know how Mondays are. Uh, Rainy days and Mondays, right? They'll always let you down. So keep pressing on. Failure does not define you. And there's one other point that we've got to cover. If we're going to maintain the joy of the Lord, we're down to verses 15 to 17, Philippians chapter 3. Paul is writing and he says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So live out what you already know inside. You know, deep inside the confines of our hearts, a born-again heart knows what ought to be done, right? If you're listening to me today, you know, as a born-again believer, you need to be in church, right? That's a no-brainer. Don't debate that. Don't deny that. Just go to church, right? You need to be involved in the family of God. You know that, right? You need to be serving God. Serve the Lord with gladness. You do that best within the local church. You need to be generous in giving. You know, when a person begins to drop out of church, this is what I notice. I can generally tell a year before somebody's about to leave our church that they're about to leave our church. Uh, They begin to disconnect themselves from areas of service. They tend to be less faithful in coming to worship. Uh, Where they would never miss a Sunday, all of a sudden they're very haphazard about coming to church. Oh, we overslept. And every little excuse uh, they will offer up for not coming to church. They also stop their giving. Before a person leaves, they stop their giving. Their giving decreases and decreases, and then it stops. And that's a sign that they're getting ready to leave because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And so when they stop giving, their heart has already left us, even though their body may be still with us. But it's just a matter of time until their body follows their heart. There was a TED Talk that I listened to not long ago. And in this TED Talk, uh, it talks about your best self. Don't believe you are not great. And I'm not talking about an unhealthy understanding of what God has done for me. Realizing that God wants to do great things in and through us. I'm not going to be immature in how I think about this. I'm going to be confident. My confidence comes from the Lord. There was a tennis competition in the final playing a 13-year-old uh, who was six foot tall, kind of a school athlete, you know, goes out and he plays tennis. And, and, uh, and as he's going out in this match, there's a voice that kept showing up everywhere. And that voice was, you don't know what you're doing. You're too young uh, to be in this. And, you know, I think about that. Oftentimes the enemy does that to us. Now, that's why Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, let no man despise 
your youth. Don't think that you can't do it. Think that God can use you more than you think. God wants to use you more than you think. Oh, it takes some faith to believe that. Listen, when you cooperate with God and what He's doing inside of you, you know, some of you have learned the value of giving. Well, we'll keep it up, right? Uh, Some of you learned the value of of serving. Well, keep it up. Some of you have learned the value of learning. You're going to learn more about the gospel. Keep it up. Did you know that uh, every every day, every single day, 195,000 people die, rather every year, not every day, every year, from a preventable medical problem. Why is that? Because they're not focused. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's that they put it off. I'm going to take care of that later. Uh, 195,000 people every year die from a preventable medical problem that they let go on too too long. They just ignored it. They put it off and, and, and dealing with it. And as a result, it took their lives. Could it be in your life spiritually? There's some preventable areas in your life uh, that you're losing your joy in, and, and you know it, right? But you're not doing anything about it. Why don't you do something about it today? Why not today? You know, the enemy loves it. No, no, do it tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Why not make tomorrow today? And do what God has called you to do. There's one final point that I want to share with you when it comes to this matter of joy. Let me quickly review what we've covered so far, okay? Avoid evil, rejoice in good. Legalism will rob you of your joy. So don't follow the legalists. They're still out there. They're adding to the gospel. And number two, put your confidence in Christ, not your credentials. Oh, thank God you have credentials. Praise God for the accomplishments that you have. But self-exaltation robs you of your joy. It's a cheap imitation of the real thing. Put your confidence in Christ, not your credentials. And number three, as you look at your life, keep pressing on. You will experience failure. Failure can rob you of your joy, but failure does not have to define you. Keep pressing on. That's what Paul says. He says, I have not already arrived. I'm not perfect, but I press on. I'm going to keep pushing ahead. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I belong to Christ. That is why I keep pressing on. I don't keep pressing on because I'm so great. I don't keep pressing on because I have all of these credentials. I press on because I'm a child of the king. I'm a king's kid. And when you look at failure, it's not fatal. Let it be your teacher, not your undertaker. Number four, live out what you already know inside. You know in the depths of your heart what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Paul says if you're mature, you know you know certain things and, and what things you don't know, God's going to reveal that to you also. If you're mature, it says only hold true to what you have obtained. In other words, don't lose ground, right? You knew when you first became a believer that you had to go to church. You knew when you first became a believer you had to be in small group. You knew when you first became a believer that you should serve the Lord. What has happened? You have no longer laid hold of what you attained. You let it slip right through your fingers. Brothers, Paul says, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes on the right people. Listen, there's always people dropping out of church. There's always people going sideways. There's always people critical of the church. So I say, whip doo ding dong Don't focus on them. Focus on the ones who are leading the way. It was Billy Graham who says, whenever you see a tragedy take place, 
Don't look at all the people that are, are experiencing mayhem. Look at those who are the heroes. Don't look at those who are running in fear. Look at those who are running inside to rescue. Listen, live out what you already know inside. And then lastly, uh, we'll close up our time. When you think about losing your joy, when frustrated, keep the end in mind. Philippians 3.18 and following says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now even tell you with tears. Paul is brokenhearted. He says, many walk as enemies of the cross. And what has happened to these people that were allegedly part of the family of God? What happened to them? Paul is brokenhearted over them in verse number 19. He says, well, this is what has happened to them. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. When frustrated, keep the end in mind. Those who abandon the faith are those whose God is their belly. What does that mean? That means they're following the passions of their belly. They're following the passions of the flesh. They're walking in the flesh, and they're not walking in the Spirit. You see, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul says they also glory in their shame. Now, what does that mean? That means they glory in the shameful aspects of their lives. You know, whenever you give a testimony, and I have listened to literally hundreds and hundreds of testimonies. Every other Sunday night, we have a testimony at Celebrate Recovery. Every other Thursday night, I have a testimony from somebody at Celebrate Recovery inside the prison. I have heard literally thousands of testimonies, I would say, in my 58 years on the planet. I get concerned when somebody glories in their shame, when they glorify their past. Listen, our past is our past, but the glory is not in our past. Don't glory in the shame. Keep your minds not on earthly things, but on spiritual things. When you feel frustrated, don't go back to the shame of the past. When you feel frustrated, don't give in to the lust of the flesh, the passions of your belly. Don't have your mind set on earthly things. Don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about material possessions. Our citizenship, says Paul, verse number 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Keep the end in mind. And that's what we're waiting for. Paul says, we are waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, Paul is saying a mouthful here. He's saying, listen, I know you feel frustrated because you're battling the lust of the flesh. You're battling this desire to bring glory and even to all the shame of your past. You got this mind that keeps going back to earthly things. But remember one thing, we are citizens, not of America. We are citizens of heaven, and we are awaiting our Savior to come. And when that happens, that is when we get our glorified body. That's called a glorious body. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that we get our glorified body at the rapture of the church. It says that the dead in Christ shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with him evermore. The dead in Christ, why are they being resurrected from the earth? 
because they're in heaven right now. Their souls, the real part of them is in heaven. But when the rapture takes place, that's when they're going to get their glorified bodies with the rest of us who are going to be raptured here together. You know, I believe that I'm going to be here for the rapture of the church. I'm looking forward to it. I tell people often, I am not looking for the undertaker. No siree. I'm looking for the uppertaker. Uh, he's going to be bringing me up into the air. Now, I hope that happens in my lifetime. I believe it will happen in my lifetime. But even if it doesn't, I'm going to not be frustrated because I'm going to keep the end in mind. So you've made some really good progress. Man, let's keep going. Let's help others have a relationship with Christ. You have processed some really good thoughts. Well, let's keep on thinking maturely and helping others think maturely. You have followed a good example. Well, keep on following that good example and help others to follow you as an excellent example. You know, years ago when I gave this message, it was right before we were doing the Lord's table. And I think about the blessedness of the Lord's table. And I know that you can't have communion with me right now because you might be driving and you, you haven't been prepared to have communion with me. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're given some really good reminders about the Lord's table. And so I want to take just the last few minutes of the broadcast, and I just want to share 10 important reminders about the Lord's table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, Paul tells us that the Lord's table is a, a remembrance. It's about the memory of what Christ has done for us. We used to have a communion table in the front of our church, and it said, this do in remembrance of me. So we remember what Christ has done for us. We remember his death, his burial, his resurrection. But there's something else about the Lord's table that we must never forget. It's also a command. We are told to do the Lord's table, have communion, until the Lord returns. Now notice, until the Lord returns. You know, when we get to heaven, we won't be able to have the Lord's table. Uh, there are some things that we do here on earth that we won't be able to do in heaven. I'm so glad that we won't be able to sin in heaven, right? We'll have a perfect glorified body. We also will not be celebrating the Lord's table in heaven. We won't be married in heaven. So if you're worried about your marriage right now, maybe things aren't going so great. I want you to know that you just have to stay married till death do you part, because when you get to heaven, you're not going to be married. We won't have the Lord's table in heaven but we're commanded to have it here on the earth. In heaven, we'll have the marriage supper of the Lord that will take the place of communion. There's something else about the Lord's table. It's tangible. This is something that we experience together, a tangible symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The Lord's table is also personal. It's a time for us to do personal inventory. Paul says, let a man examine himself before he eats. The Lord's table is also a confession of our faith. We believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Every time we take the Lord's table, every time somebody is baptized, it is a confession of our faith. But not only is it a confession of our faith, it's a proclamation of our faith. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe he's coming again. And then number seven, the Lord's table should not be disregarded. It's not to be combined with other pagan celebrations. We shouldn't be flipping about it. The Lord's table is a very sacred time. It's time for us to examine ourselves. It's not a time to be involved in disregarding other people. When we think about important reminders of the Lord's table, maybe this weekend you will celebrate the Lord's table at your church 
Would you keep these things in mind? The sacredness of having joy, all because we remember what Christ has done for us. Well, I hope you have an amazing weekend. I would love to see you at Hickory Ridge Community Church, 9 o'clock or 1045 this Sunday. Why don't you come this Sunday? I am there almost every Sunday. I probably miss four or five times a year. Uh, sometimes I'm gone because of mission trips, and and uh, but I'm very there's very few Sundays that I'm not on the pulpit. Matter of fact, I come back from my vacation uh, usually in time so that I don't miss a Sunday because I love hanging out with God's people. I would love to see you this Sunday. Just come on 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South. We are right across the street. From the old fire station, uh, which is now a veterans uh, uh, building, I think, uh, right across the street from us, right by the toll plaza for the Chesapeake Expressway. We are the last church you go by before you come into North Carolina. So come on and join us this Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1045. We'd love to see you. Just coming through the big glass doors that say, welcome home. Uh, We'll give you a warm reception. Uh, We'll help you get your children registered and get them either the place where they need to be. Uh, We'd be honored to have you come worship with us this Sunday. Well, thank you for joining me. If I can pray for you, the number is 252-267-2365. Have a great weekend. I will see you on Monday. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.